When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Argyle Chat, the Plymouth Argyle podcast brought to you by the Herald Sports Desk. Hello and welcome to this week's show. We are recording from the Tribute Lounge at Home Park this week, where I'm joined by our podcast regulars, Chris Errington and Jack Ball. Hi, guys. Hi, Stuart. Afternoon. Hi, Stuart. Oh, well, I was going to give you your very own introduction, Martin. So, uh, as you would have heard there, that's our special guest today, our Gold Chief Executive, Martin Starks. Hi, Hi Martin. Stuart. Hello, hello. How are you? Um, so then, guys, starting off with um, Saturday, um, I thought that was a really good point for our goal, really. I read the quotes from uh, Craig Tanner. He came out and said it keeps that uh, gap at eight points. Um, Chris, I imagine that's pretty much what the general consensus is from, from our goal's point of view. Yeah, I think if you'd offered um, a 1-1 draw to most Argyle fans, players, chief executives before the game, I think they'd have taken that. Of course, a win would have been great, and that would have really opened up the, the gap on Luton. But, uh, you know, when you're 1-0 down after eight minutes in quite an intimidating atmosphere at Kenilworth Road and you, you come away with a 1-1 draw, particularly the way Argyle learnt it in the second half where they defended well and, and didn't really allow Luton too many chances apart from one at the death where Oscar Threlkeld made a brilliant diving header to, to clear the, the danger as uh, Ollie Palmer was about to shoot. Um, no, no it, was a, it was a good point, and with the results elsewhere, still a bit early in the season to be looking too closely at other results, but Doncaster didn't win, Luton, um, Carlisle lost to Portsmouth, so I, I think that was a good day for our goal, good point. Yeah, Portsmouth really, Jack, the only winners of the weekend. Yeah, it, I saw a tweet actually at the weekend, and people were saying it looks like no one wants to win League 2 this year or, or get promoted, <laughs> um, but it happens every year, doesn't it? Teams drop off the pace, so... It's a great point for Argyle. I said before the game that I was hoping for at least a point. It keeps the gap. And I've seen interviews with Danny Hilton and, and Nathan Jones, and they very much saw it as a case of two points dropped rather. Obviously, they're the ones trying to make up the gap against Argyle. So, yeah, definitely a good, very good point. Yeah, and from, from your point of view, Martin, a point gained on, on Saturday? Yeah, I mean, not, um, just picking up on what Jack said, we, we do want to win the league. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's one of those silly, cliched things that yeah. fans say, isn't it, really? Yeah, we do want to win it. And I particularly wanted to win on Saturday because, of course, I used to work with Nathan Jones at Yeovil oh, yeah. uh, for several years. And it would have given me great pleasure to go to Luton and win the game, having lost here um, the early part of the season. Um, but I went and saw Nathan after the game, and he was absolutely seething that they'd missed those opportunities at the end and hadn't, hadn't won the game. So I think we take from that that it was a very good point for us. Yeah, some comments as well from Derek Adams. He wasn't too happy with some of the challenges at, from Luton on Saturday, Chris. Has he, has he got a point, do you think? Um, yes, I think he did. And I think it's been a culmination of things as well. Um, the late Orient game here not too long ago, there was a, a few tasty tackles flying that night. And uh, Anthony Sarsovic got a, an injury from one that I recall. Um, I think we talked about it on the podcast last week. I, I, I sort of thought that Ryan Taylor came in for some pretty hefty treatment up at Hartlepool uh, last Saturday and um, didn't get a lot of protection. And um, same again on, on Saturday, Luton. The, the, the first tackle on Graham Carey uh, that Jonathan Smith got booked for, you know, to, to my mind, it was a tackle from behind. 
he wasn't going to win the ball. Uh, it was with force. Um, I think you could argue it was reckless, and he only got a yellow card. And I, I, I think that was a poor decision from the from the referee. And the rubber tackles as well. David Fox went off injured at half time after a poor tackle. Wasn't a great pass back to him by Anthony Sarsovic. Didn't do him any favours, but it was still a hefty tackle. Um, so yeah, I think the, the manager is perfectly entitled to to make the comment about lack of protection. Some people will say, oh, it's whinging and you know this, that, and the other. But um, you know, you are allowed to have an opinion as a football manager. It'd be a pretty dull world if they uh, they just sat on the fence about everything. And uh, yeah, I think he had a point on Saturday, definitely. Yeah, and it's only right, I suppose, for Derek Adams to come out and, and protect his players. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think picking up on Chris's point there with Ryan Taylor in particular, I don't think he's had uh, protection any of the games I've seen. I mean, he gets pretty uh, roughly dealt with by, by defenders, and it doesn't seem as though he's got to do much back, and he concedes a free kick. So I think referees need to have a look at this as to how they're dealing with these challenges between centre-backs and centre-forwards. Um, for me, it's not, it's not erring on the side of the attacking player at the moment. Because yeah. in the modern game, it's often one striker against two centre-backs, yeah, isn't it? It's correct, not yeah. often two against two. And the poor old striker up front, you know, it breathes on the centre-back and he gets booked, which is what happens to Ryan Taylor up at mm. Hartlepool. And yet all game, he's, you know, pushed in the back, shoved, nudged and whatever, and, um, and, and nothing comes the other way. So it, it, I wouldn't want to be a, a one-up-front striker. That mm. looks like a thankless task to me, that does. But Ryan Taylor, to be fair to him, is doing it very well, the back hill for the goal. Yeah, the build-up to the goal was fantastic. Yeah. I don't know if you guys saw the um, Norwich Ipswich game yesterday in the penalty incident in the first half where the guy got hauled to the ground by two Norwich defenders, Ipswich player. Mm. And the referee gave a free kick against the Ipswich player. It was yeah. absolute madness. <laughs> yeah. But Anyway, uh, Martin, since we last spoke, though, things have certainly gone well on the pitch for Argyle. Second in the league, of course, and you've had that fantastic FA Cup run. So, um, you know, I imagine in terms of the season so far, you must be delighted with the way things are going. Yeah, we are. We are. I mean, if you'd said to us that um, we'd be in this position now, at the beginning of the season, I mean, clearly we would have, we would have taken it. Um, yeah, in the last uh, three games, of course, we've only picked up two points. So, um, yeah, that doesn't really cause us uh, concern at this stage because we've got three home games to, to go, and we can make the form record look um, a lot more impressive if we can go and win those three games. But um, yeah, there's no there's no hint of complacency at all here. We've got. Um, to win probably eight games to secure uh, promotion. <laughs> <laughs> shall, we, uh, shall we reveal whose mobile phone that's? And Jack, you really should <laughs> turn your phone off before, before we come into interviews like that. Oh, My no. goodness me. <laughs> um, just going back to what you're talking about, though, I mean, January especially was a big month, I think, for the club. You know, Derek obviously came to you and, and said that you wanted to strengthen in, in certain areas. And you look at the squad that Argyle have now compared to 12 months ago, and you certainly seem to have that strength in depth that people perhaps last year said you didn't have. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and that's been part of the plan, really, since the beginning of the season, that we would um, see how things uh, go up until December and where we felt we needed strengthening, either from a from a form or a positional sense, we'd, we'd go and do it. I mean, we were caught a little bit on the hop when Rotherham came in for Ben Parrington. Um, we, we didn't really see that coming, and it was quite late in the window. Uh, and, um, you know, situations like that are difficult when the player um, clearly wants to, wants to move um, because of the, the attraction of playing um, in the championship and obviously being on a, a stronger contract. You can't deny opportunities. And it's a question of just doing the best deal that you can for... Uh, for the club when you're in that situation. We've been there before and we'll no doubt there be, be there again when, when we're in those situations. And every club gets it. Yeah, indeed. Uh, obviously, 
promotion is very much the overriding goal for Argyle this season. But on top of that, of course, you had this uh, excellent FA Cup run with uh, Liverpool coming down to home park in, and, of course, get the draw up at Anfield, which is obviously a, a great day for the club. Um, in terms of finance, though, I mean, how, how much... Can you put a kind of figure on, on, to, on how much that was worth to the football club? I could, but I'm not going to. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's substantial, obviously, additional funds for the, for the club. And um, we're in the process at the moment of determining how that's best going to be, be used. Um, over the years, this stadium has been um, short of the maintenance that's required to keep it in, in the state that it should be. We've had leaky roofs and stuff like that that's, uh, that's having to be addressed. Um, we've also got um, a very poor training ground, and so some money's being put in that. We put irrigation in um, during the last closed season. I'm sorry, uh, drainage last closed season. We're now looking to put irrigation in during the next closed season, and um, the training pitches will need additional work as well uh, to bring them up to the standard that we think the team deserves. You know, at the moment we're, we're struggling with training facilities, to be quite honest. And what Derek's doing with the team on the pitch, given the training services that we've got, is is remarkable. That's yeah. always been a problem at Argyle, the training facilities. You know, on, on, on the face of it, having the training ground right next to the main ground is, is good in some ways, but it, it's clearly not good enough for, for purpose in the 21st century, is it? No, it isn't. And I'm, I was astonished when I came down here that you know, a club that had been in the championship mm. had only got two grass pitches that tended to get waterlogged yeah. um, during certain months of the year. So, mm. um, you know, it's been something that we've wanted to address, but you're talking about big finance in mm. order to... Uh, upgrade pitches to bring them up to the standard. You know, they're basically just recreational pitches that you mm. get in the park mm. that have had a little bit better, better looking after. Yeah. Well, that's not good enough. Mm. You know, the we have to have better services than that. Are you still planning to have grass pitches though, or, or maybe have a three G or four G pitch? No, at the moment, the, t the two grass pitches that we've got access to will remain grass pitches. Um, we'd obviously like to get additional grass pitches, and we'd like to get uh, an all weather surface, but that's very much sort of a a vision rather than a definitive plan at the moment. Okay. Um, in your column last week, Marcin, you, of course you write weekly, or fortnightly I should say, for, for the Herald. Um, you mentioned that you were at a football league meeting that you had attended and um, something to come out of that was the, the EFL's plans to evaluate the much maligned EFL trophy. Um, what Did you get any kind of inkling as to what changes they might have going forward with that competition? Or, or no, no, at the moment the league are doing a uh, comprehensive review of the, of the competition as it stood. Um, they're going around talking to the Premier League and the clubs that participated, uh, including those that didn't, to see what their view was. They're obviously soliciting views from all the League One and League Two clubs as well. And we're due to go to another meeting uh, on the 11th of April um, to uh, really collate all that feedback and determine how it's going to go forward. Uh, I think something you asked for was for the fans to give their opinions as well, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, we'll, so we'll be doing a survey um, to see what our fans thought of it, and I'm sure other clubs will be doing exactly the same. Yeah, have you been disappointed with the e EFL trophy this year? I mean, you know, you see some of the crowds and, you know, the empty stadiums and what have you, and it doesn't seem to have quite gone the way the e EFL perhaps would have wanted it to go. Um, no, I think that's probably true, that uh, the EFL... Um, uh, didn't see it as being as as positive as it as it might have been, but I think I want to reserve um, further comment until um, the league have got the opportunity to come back to us with a com their, their complete review, see where they are with it, see where the Premier League are with it, and more importantly, as far as I'm concerned, is to see where the League One and League Two clubs are with it. 
Yeah. Uh, we put a couple of tweets and um, Facebook posts out last week asking for our listeners to send in questions, and uh, we had a pretty good response. So if we can go through some of those, it would be uh, interesting to hear what your, your answers are. We'll start with uh, Andrew, Andrew Heathman. Sorry. Um, are our goal doing anything to secure players on contracts for next season? Yeah, a lot of that has been done by, by virtue of the fact that uh, the majority of the players have got clauses in their contract anyway um, into next season, depending on how many games they've played this year. Um, and there'll, be a, there'll certainly be a substantial number that will automatically qualify for another year, so we haven't got to worry too much about those. As far as other players are concerned, I mean, we, we do everything we can to um, secure the players that we, that we need um, you know, for the following season. Um, but it takes three to tango. You know, it takes the player and his agent to determine whether they're going to sign or not. And uh, yeah, there's there's not a lot you can do about it if they want to delay making a decision, which some players do from time to time. Yeah, indeed. Michael Wonderley's a regular listener to the show. He's asking who in the current team is the prized asset according to the board. Well, the team's the prized asset. You know, I'm not going to single out individuals. Um, you know, every every player that we've had um, playing for the first team this season has made a contribution. You know, it's not as if we've got um, a star striker that scored 30 goals, is it? Um, you know, the goals have been spread around, the defensive duties have been spread around, the, the creativity has been spread around. Yeah, I know Graham Carey's um, had a high profile this year with the assists and the goals that he's got. Um, but at the end of the day, I think everybody's made a contribution. It's the team that's the important thing, not just one individual. Arguably the manager as well, of course. Oh, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Um, plenty of talk as well about the, uh, the the ground redevelopment. Obviously, we've seen the plans for the uh, for the old grandstand here, at, or the Mayflower stand, I should say, at, at Home Park. Um, what, what's the sort of latest in terms of the redevelopment? Okay, we've already started uh, putting together um, working parties. So we've got an internal group that, that is meeting... Um, fortnightly to discuss um, what the ground should look like and what we need as far as facilities are concerned. And we've also got a fans group as well that's, uh, that's meeting to give their, their input into um, what, what the, the place should look like once the development is underway. Um, following those meetings, um, which has involved uh, architects and uh, QSs, um, a planning application will be submitted, which we hope will be done um, before the summer. And uh, then we're in the hands of the planners, uh, which we hope will get uh, a comfortable ride through and we can start work uh, early part of next year. When you say internal, Martin, is that club staff? Yeah. Uh, and how important is it to have their feedback in, in this? Obviously, fans would like to have a say, but the club staff are the people that are going to be working here, after all. Yeah, it's, re it's really important, isn't it? Because uh, I don't think that you can um, ignore the people that are working at the coalface. They're the ones that know their area of work better than anybody else. And so to get their feedback and input into something like this is really important. And is, is there a vision of what you want or what the club wants the, the grandstand to look like? Or is it, you know, a, a rough idea and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what feedback we get and, and what the cost might be involved? Well, we're developing the vision, really. You know, we're, we're in the process of uh, the consultation and, and getting the feedback. At the, at the moment, I think that uh, what we may have started with as a as a rough idea may well be modified quite substantially um, so I wouldn't want to be drawn into saying too much about that because yeah. we're not there yet mm. I'm sure that uh, once the architects have come up with a scheme um, that we all feel collectively works the best for the club then it'll get uh, it'll get published and you've been at the club long enough you, you'll know that the fans and lots of people around the club are 
desperate for something to happen, aren't they? I mean, how how important is it, how important is it for this plan to, to finally come to fruition after lots of previous plans haven't uh, got off the ground? Well, it's extremely important, isn't it? You know, I'm, I'm fully fully aware of what's happened in the past and the, the disappointment that comes with it, and the fact that uh, not having it is holding us back. You know, um, off field and uh, on field, because you know the finance that we hope will be raised by the um, the additional facilities that will be available here, here bars and restaurants, will will help us fund the team to a greater extent. Yeah, one of the questions we had is from uh, from Dave Searle, who's asking, will the new revamped grandstand have bars that all supporters can access pre-match, rather than just a select few? <laughs> well, um, I'm going to I'm going to focus in on the all supporters bit because I don't <laughs> think there's a ground in the country that can um, provide bars for all supporters. So, um, at the end of the day, yeah, we're providing providing bars. And we will want to get as many of our fans um, into those those bars and hospitality areas as, as as we possibly can. But the footprint is only so big, and the grandstand will only be so big. Um, health and safety will will sort of put a limit on the number of people that we can get in. Yeah. Um, so the answer to that is um, it'll be more than it is now, but it certainly won't be the whole capacity of the ground. We uh, you know we'll still have the bars on the concourses, of course, that some people use. Um, but as far as uh, external bars or bars in this area of the grandstand, um, there'll be increased capacity, but it, w it won't satisfy all because there just won't be enough space. Yeah. I guess it's important that the club get this right as well. Obviously, you had the redevelopment a few years ago with the, the other three sides of the stadium. And there wasn't really much kind of uh, corporate hospitality taken into account, I guess. So is that perhaps an area that you're really focusing on to make sure that you get that exactly right with the, the, the new grandstand? Well, not, not exclusively. I mean, it, it's, uh, it's, a, it's an important part, but at the same time, we want to make sure that we're uh, catering for as many different types and tastes that we, that we possibly can as part of the overall uh, development. Um, it remains to be seen as to, as to what we can achieve with the, with the space um, they've got available. Yeah. Another question we had is from Oliver Nail, who said, uh, will, you be, will you ever upgrade the Lindhurst and Devonport stands? Well, you never say never, do you? Um, again, we, we, there, there will be some... Um, restrictions as to what we can do from a, from a planning point of view and a space point of view, um, but um, I wouldn't rule it out. But it's not it's not imminent. I was going to say that obviously the the, the grandstand takes priority yeah, at the moment. Absolutely. <clears throat> uh, back to football then, and as you mentioned earlier, Martin, three huge games coming up for Argyle now, um, and the fact that they're going to be at home park, of course, is perhaps a, an extra bonus for them in terms of the, the race for promotion. Um, Notts County tomorrow night then. Notts County have kind of pulled away from the, the bottom of the table recently, um, in need of points themselves, of course, but it's going to be tricky, isn't it? We saw recently with the Leighton Orient game just how difficult it is playing these teams down at the bottom of the table. Well, there isn't an easy game, is there? You know, we've, As you say, we played Leighton Orient uh, the other week and they've, uh, there was a sting in the tail in that game at the end. And we've gone to Hartlepool and um, um, just got a point um, where we would have hoped to have won that game, given Hartlepool's uh, recent form. Um, so, yeah, who knows uh, tomorrow and indeed the other two games. I mean, we'll be going all out to, to win them, uh, self-evidently. Uh, but, um, as you say, Notts County have been in a little bit of form recently and are bound to give us a hard, hard game. Yeah, and Chris, obviously there were a few in injuries on, on Saturday with David Fox and you mentioned that tackle to Graham Carey. Probably a bit too early to say at the moment what yeah. the likely team's going to be. Well, not long after we've finished recording this, we'll see the manager and have a, have a chat with him. Uh, I don't imagine he'll give us too much uh, in-depth detail about injuries, but uh, there have definitely been a few bumps and bruises on Saturday night on that team cup coach driving back from 
from Bedfordshire. And, you know, I agree with Martin. I mean, how can you predict anything in League Two? It's, you know, Doncaster drawing at home to Accrington, the latest in a long line of results that you wouldn't have predicted, you wouldn't have expected. Um, it's on that day, on any given day. So, um, you know, uh, you know, Notts County, you know, have got some good players. John Steading, particularly up front, Premier League striker, not too distant pass. So you have to respect them. But as I always say in the podcast, I think if our goal play well, well, they've got every chance of winning the game. Yeah, since the Devon Derby, of course, Jack, I'll go. Perhaps haven't got the results that many fans would have wanted. So um, they need kind of need to get that win to get back on track, I guess. There's no perfect time to do it than three home games in a week. As a cliche, isn't there? A week's a long time in football. Well, the table could look totally different in a week's time. Um, Notts County, obviously, they've got Amiobi, who's apparently done quite well for them, and Nolan. Um, and Carlisle on Saturday is going to be a fascinating game. I'm very excited for that game. It should be a good crowd, I'd hope. Um, I'm. I, I, I've said before on this podcast that I love Tuesday night games. I love the floodlights. They're quite important to me and quite special to me. I know the, um, there's been talks in the past about possibly reducing Tuesday night games, but I love them and I'm, I'm looking forward to a week of great football at Home Park. Yeah. yeah, and as Jack mentioned, there are three games in, in a week. In terms of the logistics of arranging all of that, Martin, how difficult is it for the football club? Um, we sort of take these things in our stride now, to be honest. Um, yeah, it creates a, a bit of extra work um, uh, in a short space of time. But, um, used to that this season with the uh, Liverpool games well, I guess. Precisely. if we can handle that then we can handle it <laughs> as well. yeah. Um, but yeah I mean it puts a bit of pressure on, on, on staff a bit of extra pressure a few uh, uh, extra hours I guess but um, pretty, pretty much we've got it nailed on what we need to do sort of each league game so it'll be, it'll be fine Indeed. Well, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast this week. Uh, that's all we've got time for this week. Thanks to all of you out there for your questions. Martin, again, thank you for coming on the show. Jack and Chris, thank you to you too. We'll be back again next week to look back on the, well, it'll be two games, I suppose, and looking ahead to the game against Blackpool next Tuesday. So uh, thanks for listening. Bye-bye. We are always happy to hear from you, and if you have any questions for our panel, please tweet them to our Twitter account, at HeraldPAFC, or visit our Facebook page, Plymouth Argyle The Herald. Thanks for listening.